You're listening to Solar Insiders, a fortnightly update on the ins and the outs of the solar industry and what it means for solar owners and industry. With Renew Economies editor Giles Parkinson and leading solar industry veteran Nigel Morris. Solar Insiders is brought to you by Clanergy, providers of innovative, high-quality solar solutions to the world. SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. And Solar Analytics, helping you get more from your solar, more confidence, more savings and more insights. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of the Solar Insiders podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of Renew Economy, one step off the grid and the EV focused, the driven. And joining me as usual from sunny and Sydney, I think, is Nigel Morris from Solar Analytics. How's your rooftop solar going this last week, Nigel? <laughs> sunny Sydney uh, is is uh, the wrong reference, my friends. It's, it's a myth. It's a myth. It's a it's an absolute myth. Uh, uh, we're lucky it's not flooding where I am, but uh, pretty much everyone in Western and the Southern side of Sydney is in a terrible state of affairs. So um, heartfelt, uh, um, you know, I hope everyone's okay. I hope everyone's okay. Yes. Well, some people will be pretty frustrated and pretty annoyed and pretty exasperated by the, um, by the, uh, by the flooding. Um, some people have been flooded three times in the last, well, I think this year. So um, just really, um, just so frustrating. Um, yeah, um, mind blowing, mind blowing. But as someone did say, at least the fossil fuel industry helped us break the drought. If that's a solution. There's <laughs> <laughs> always a sunny side. There's <laughs> always a sunny side. Well, not particularly right now. And look, apologies for Nigel. His normal mellifluous voice has been hampered by the fact that my laptop won't speak to his laptop anymore. So we've had to go through the phone and our recording platform um, is playing silly buggers. Um, so Nigel's having to do this on your phone. So um, well done, That's Nigel. right. I'm, 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 I'm harking back to all the days when I played uh, the White Rabbit in Alice in Wonderland at 14 years old and uh, uh, was screamed at, actually, by uh, the program director for not projecting successfully. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it's never left me. Uh, that's no, that's 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 no way to treat a white rabbit. <laughs> so I'm going to do my best to uh, get my mellifluous voice working as best I can on my phone. So Nigel, uh, what's kind of been happening in the world? Uh, we look like we're sort of going headlong into another energy crisis, thanks to the uh, to the dying fossil fuel industry putting up gases, putting up prices, can't produce for less than. An average of six hundred and ninety dollars a megawatt hour. Um, so we're probably as 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 we're recording this, we seem to be sort of running headlong into another price cap and possibly a market suspension. Um, there's something wrong with the world and confusing about the world that fossil fuel generators can't generate at an average price. It's an average price of just under seven hundred dollars a megawatt over the week. And yet people with rooftop solar are probably doing their own generation at about one twentieth of that. Yeah, look, I mean, I must admit, I, I wrote a headline for our cheat sheet that said the NEM is back because in our last episode, we talked about how the NEM uh, collapsed for the first time in its history and pulled trading power. And uh, I wrote that a day or two ago. And um uh, reading your illustrious newsletter, I saw that Queensland uh, looks like it's about to tip over and you suggested that the entire market might tip over again because of the the uh, ongoing shenanigans. So it's not over yet. 
No, well, look, it's one of those things. It's a bit too hard to call as we, um, as, as we're sort of recording, we get to see. But at this stage, it was looked like he- Queensland was he- going headlong in, in, into the price cap, and then inevitably a market suspension because the generators don't know how to behave or find some excuses not to behave. Um, already on Tuesday, they withdrew 1.3 gigawatts of capacity, just like that in the morning. Yeah, just, um, like that. just when the, you know the market operator had already said, you know, declared a lack of reserve um, position for the afternoon, and all of a sudden 1.3. G- Gigawatts just uh, disappears, so um, you're just kind of wondering whether, well, you know that the market's basically been held to ransom and they can come up to all sorts of different reasons. Why this? We're worried about our fuel supply. We're not clear about the compensation things, but you guys, this is an essential service. You've got to provide electricity. You're getting getting paid shitload anyway. You're making a whole lot of money. Um, Just pull your heads in while we get over this little crisis, but... um, can't be relied to do that. And that translates in the fact that there's a huge loss of confidence um, in the industry. And um, we're seeing the Energy Consumer Survey, um, which normally says polite things about the in- industry. And they want a little bit of this and a little bit of that. But basically, uh, it says this time that, um, no, we don't have any confidence, don't have any trust in the industry. And unless something happens very soon, a lot of people will be going their own way. And, of course, Energy Consumers Australia point out that as attractive a notion as going off-grid and going your own way is, it's not really part of the sort of collective solution for the grid. Um, but it creates some interesting opportunities for all the uh, all the listeners out there, particularly those in the solar and the storage business. And no doubt they've seen an increase in um, in customer inquiries recently. Yes. In fact, I saw uh, our old friend Finn Peacock publish some information this week uh, in his, his regular monthly update on um, uh, a variety of key statistics around people uh, interested in solar. Uh, and um, not only have they previously reported a big surge in inquiries, but they're also seeing that people are saying, get it to me faster. Uh, and I think there was a new record set for, you know, the number of people who wanted solar immediately. Certainly my phone's been running off the hook with friends and family saying, Nige, just got the new bill, need some solar stat. What can you do? Get me onto someone good. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, uh, yeah, clearly it's uh, solar, uh, at least uh, for the the average solar uh, homeowner out there, seems like a damn good idea right now. Well, it's interesting. So we've seen these short-term trends with the uh, well, there's, you know, this, this immediate energy crisis and prices soaring through the roof. People seeing their bills go up by up to about eighteen percent, um, and deciding, bugger that, I'm going to get solar. And if you need, I'll get a battery. If I really can, I'll probably go off the grid because I just can't see any solution here. And yet, we saw in the integrated system plan that was released last week by the Australian Energy Market Operator, which is a fantastic document. You know, a hundred-page summary, but you go into it, it's like. 600 pages of sort of analysis and spreadsheets and goodness knows whatever, talking about the transition to renewables, 83% by 2030, which sounds extraordinary. Um, end of brown coal and step change scenario, which many people think will get superseded by the hydrogen superpower scenario, which will mean an even quicker transition, getting up towards pretty high 90% renewable share within a decade. Um, one thing to say that, totally another to actually do that and get the infrastructure in place and the knowledge of that managing those sort of systems. Well, what's really interesting, Nigel, I thought was just, um, I mean, not just a nine-fold increase in large-scale wind and solar, but a five-fold increase in distributed solar, rooftop solar, and the incredibly important role that distributed energy 
um, is going to play in the storage needs of the future. So they talk about 46 gigawatts of storage needed to support such a grid. And they point out that two thirds of that, 31 gigawatts, will come from distributed storage. So that's going to be a mixture of community batteries, rooftop solar, plus your battery on wheels, your electric vehicles that you, many of us will have um, by 2030. It's kind of an interesting thing for the solar industry and the solar ins installers to think about because it's not just about whacking a panel on the roof. I mean, it probably hasn't been for a while yet, any, for, for a while anyway, but it's going to become even more about the integration of all these three different things. And that's going to be the subject of all the inquiries. Okay, I want rooftop solar. What does this mean for batteries? What does this mean for my house? What about vehicle to load? What about my electric vehicles? What about sending back to the grid? All that sort of stuff. The answer to which we're really not too sure at the moment. Yeah, well, the only thing that we can be sure about is more consumers are going to do it. Yeah. Um, we already know that rooftop solar um, and distributed generation is the single largest source of renewable of solar generation. It's, it's larger even than the large scale stuff so far. And if things keep going the way they're going, uh, consumers being um, the kind of immediate and fickle thinking creatures that we are, uh, we're going to go off like a cracker. And, um, you know, with the prices where they are, you know, I just, you know, rooftop solar and distributed uh, energy and storage is just going to continue. And, and, you know, I mean, a great, I always like to talk about the, the, the sort of real world and the, the little anecdotes, but, you know, my father-in-law has been chatting to me about uh, adding solar to his home. And when his bill came through, he said, right, I'll go that solar now. Uh, the bill's gone up um, and, and what the heck, I'll add batteries as well. Uh, I can see it's only going one way. So, you know, that's a, a classic example of a consumer who, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't necessarily think that batteries are the answer to everything and doesn't necessarily think they make sense, but he can see that uh, right now it's probably a sensible thing to do. So uh, if, uh, if Tony's thinking that way, then uh, I hazard a guess that a whole lot of other people are too. I wonder if there's any information out there about how many people getting solar now and solar and batteries are thinking about the electric vehicles as well. It'd be interesting to get some feedback from some of the listeners out there, um, whether they're customers or, um, or business people sort of handling these sort of inquiries. Have you got any insight into that? Uh, uh, only anecdotes, nothing, uh, nothing specific in terms of data. I mean, we're certainly seeing interest again from some of the surveys like Finn Peacock stuff from SolarQuotes uh, showing a, an increase in interest. Um, but I, but but I think su supply and demand uh, is 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 the challenge that the the market is facing. So everyone kind of understands. Okay, sure, you might want an electric vehicle, or you might want to add a battery to your home, but right now your your options are somewhat limited. So I don't think we're going to see that translate in the near term. Um, maybe a little bit later on when when supply opens up. Mm. Now, um, we've just been sort of talking about sort of some of the obvious solutions to this energy crisis, which is basically more renewables and more storage. But um, some people have got a, a, other ideas. I think you just sort of um, introduced a new category. Um, is it nub of the week or is it supposed to be knob of the week there, Nigel? <laughs> oh, nub of the week, nub uh, of the favourite week? word. Uh, nub is um, something of an idiot, uh, someone who thinks they're smart, not so smart. And, you know, Nationals MP Keith Pitt, courtesy of uh, Sky News this week, um, um, sort of came out and basically says that it's reality biting. It was always going to happen. People shouldn't be demonising coal and gas. And it's all down to the fact that uh, apparently wind and solar fails every single day. It's not the coal-fired power plants that continue to go offline on a regular basis. It's not the fact that coal-fired and gas-fired generation is being regularly and continuously pulled out of the market so that they can make more money than... Uh, uh, than a Kardashian. 
apparently it's all because of intermittent and unreliable wind and solar, which is absolute garbage. And um, it did strike me, actually, that the only thing that Sky News could dig out was one ridiculous tweet from Keith Pitt. That was that was the best they could come up with on, on the whole energy policy debate for, uh, for the last week or so. So even they're struggling to make up lies right now because it's so obvious what's bloody going on. Well, Keith Pitt, um, amazingly enough, is actually an electrical engineer, I'm, I'm, I'm told. It's on his CV. So, um, but he's always um, struggled with um, some of the realities of the energy transition. I can remember his uh, reluctance to actually sort of say anything or even say the word um, battery storage when um, he was asked about dispatchable energy. So um, this is a guy that is absolutely firmly um, you know, got an ideological bent. Speaking of which, um, Angus Taylor has managed to find himself back into the energy news. Uh, BP Light Source want to build a um, a 400 megawatt solar farm and a big battery near Goulburn, which just happens to be near his property apparently. And um, he sort of joined the um, the uh, some of the people opposing it locally. I mean, there's a big community group that do support it, but um, of course, there's a few people that are against it. And um, Angus Taylor has lined up against um, that project along with the local Liberal member of state parliament and um you get this interesting reason was well it's not in a renewable energy zone therefore it shouldn't be there and you're saying hang on <laughs> hang on angus just to, just slow down a bit oh. um you know uh, renewable energy zones aren't the only place where you can build wind and solar but um anyway um there you go the, the um the shenanigans go on and i'm not too sure if there is or ever will be a climate truce while you've got this mob around us yeah yeah, my ancestors who uh, who came from Goulburn would be rolling in their grave at the behaviour of um, Mr Taylor. I have no doubt about that at all. They were progressive thinkers, interested in the community. Um, and, of course, we all have to look after them. We've got another story about the pros and cons of, you know, you can't do solar and batteries everywhere. There's no doubt about that. You have to engage the community. You have to keep, you have to bring people along for the ride. You know, I, I wouldn't advocate for anything other than that. But, um, you know, it uh, stinks to high heaven when Angus Taylor, who's just lied through his teeth about renewables the entire time that he was in power, uh, continues on in the background now, um, you know, rousing people up when clearly storage is absolutely essential for um, the, 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 the grid um, and to alleviate the exact kind of pressures that we've got right now. So, you know, back in your box, Gus. <laughs> back in your box. And um, I think we'll just take this opportunity to take a message from one of our sponsors. Sunwiz are Australia's leading service provider to the solar and storage industry. Sunwiz now offers a unique business-wide solution for solar retailers. Differentiate and automate your business with a tailored implementation that builds referrals. Visit sunwiz.com.au forward slash accelerate and discover how you can boost your profits while working less. And of course, um, we'd like to thank all our sponsors, Solar Analytics, Clinergy and Sunwiz and um, for their ongoing support of this podcast. Nigel, you're gearing up for Energy Next in a couple of weeks at, um, in Sydney. Yeah, like uh, like a lot of people, it's an interesting event. In fact, I was looking at it the other day going, this is actually three events in one. You know, there's the Energy Next part of the event, which is technical sessions like you'd find at most kind of events. Plus, there's the Clean Energy Summit, which is very sort of policy-focused traditionally. Plus, there's an installer masterclass. And, of course, there's an exhibition uh, alongside those three different sort of streams that are going on over two days. So, um, you know, especially if the rain keeps going, great opportunity to educate your team, get them into the event. 
Um, there's some really interesting presentations and speeches um, uh, that are going to be held. Plus, of course, all the all the people who are in the hall with their with their new technology and new new gear that they want to um, uh, show you and sell you. So, um, yeah, if you've got a team of people who missed out on smart energy, perhaps, or you want to be able to get in and listen to some of these educational presentations, then t- terrific opportunity just a couple of weeks away. Excellent, excellent, excellent. Now, what else have we got on the agenda, Nigel? Um, well, oh, that's the other thing, actually. I'm doing a live podcast or a live podcast recording. Uh, I've got your mate. Uh, I rang your, your good buddy, David Leach, and said, you've got to come and great solar business and explain what's going on in the energy market. And I was, I was worried it was sort of old news, but by the time we get there in two weeks, who knows what will have happened. So uh, I, I think it'll be fantastic because uh, I, I rang David and said, David, I think you know more about the energy market than anyone I know. And he uh, quickly uh, advised me that I should get out more. Um, <laughs> But, well, no, but, but, but it's interesting because David does have an extraordinary insight into the market and the workings of the market and the business models and things like that. But he's actually sort of um, walked the talk and he's got an electric vehicle, as you know, because you plug your Harley live wire to it, sort of see that it works. Yeah. And uh, the vehicle to vehicle electric bike or vehicle to Harley. And, um, and he's gone the whole electric business on his home. So, and got sort of um, storage and uh, got a couple of power walls there in the back. So, um, wow. he, he can actually sort of provide some interesting insights into, into what he did, what he achieved, um, particularly with sort of, you know, making the house more efficient, um, heat pumps, solar storage, EVs. Um, I think it would be a really, um, really interesting chat. I reckon it will be. I reckon it will be. So, you know, if you, that's another reason to come along to Energy Next or um, any of the other events. Um, yeah, come along and throw your questions at us. We, we do hope to have a bit of an audience there and good good chance to throw rocks at uh, men. men <laughs> not at the audience. Yeah, not, not at the nothing audience. else. It should be good fun. <laughs> yeah. Speaking of, speaking of interviews, had a great chat with... Uh, uh, Olivia Smith, uh, about PR and marketing in solar on last week's episode of Great Solar Business. Giles, I uh, had a bunch of people say, oh, terrific episode, really good tips in there. So uh, really trying to deliver some valuable um, tips and advice for people on how to um, how to grow their solar businesses. So that was a really episode. Uh, I've got a really great guest who I've, I've sort of had a couple of false starts with because she's so famous and travels the world and is so... Um, so busy, um, but I have finally pinned down uh, Dr. Renata Egan, uh, fellow Hall of Fame inductee, awards, um, awards, awards, awards for this wonderful, wonderful lady. And she also happens to be a genius at winning grants. Uh, she has probably won more solar grants than anyone else I know. And uh, so we're going to get on and uh, get her on and have a conversation about you know, how you can, uh, which grants are worth going for, the pros and cons of chasing grants, all those kinds of things. Uh, and if that's not enough, Giles, I've also got an interview lined up with that uh, terrific fella, Duncan, who we stumbled across the other day, who, who wrote his Harley Davidson Livewire uh, oh, on, on a great long trip. So, so I've got a chat coming up with him as well. So I'm podcasting all week long podcasting all week on well let's hope the technology works because it's been playing up um, yes. the buggery um yes <laughs> which is why you're on your phone and um, i'm hoping like hell this is being recorded but anyway yeah um 
<laughs> Otherwise, it'd be a really weird chat just with you and yourself. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yes, I'll sort of have to use sign language. People can imagine what you said in the meantime. But um, anyway, yeah. Actually, um, talking to Renata would be really interesting too because um, she was there with um, Martin Green and Chris Bowen um, a week or so ago when they were announcing sort of forty-seven million dollars in funding as part of the sort of you know new burst towards low-cost solar. Um, in Australia. And uh, what I find really interesting about that is it's not just part of R&D development, which of course, you know, Australia has been a world leader in. It's also about thinking about Australia as a manufacturing destination for solar. And that's been kind of the missing link, despite the excellent work of people like Tindo and um, others. And uh, so it'll be interesting to get her perspective of what she thinks is actually possible and doable on that front, because wouldn't it, great, wouldn't it be great to have a strong solar manufacturing sector as well as a um, as um, um, the R and D. Well, it certainly would, and and you know that's some of the so the, the UNSW uh, where Renata works, uh, amongst other places, uh, has, has done a terrific job of establishing commercialisation programs in there, and you know working out how they, you know they they need their lab stuff, they need the R and D, but they also need to work out how do you take it out of that, how do you build business models, how do you translate that into the marketplace, and so yeah, I think it'll be a terrific, terrific chat. Yeah, well, I mean, the kind of the irony is that a lot of the, um, the cheap solar has come from China over the past decade or so, and that's because they have the cheapest manufacturing and probably the cheapest power source, albeit sort of largely fossil fuel. Um, but the irony is, is that Australia now, um, because of its fantastic wind and solar resources, has the opportunity, if you can get it shit together and actually do this transition, which we keep on talking about, and implement the ISP as, as has been sort of written out, that we will have... Um, the cheapest um, electricity with the added benefit of it being zero emissions, which seems the perfect way to produce yet more um, wind and solar components, or particularly solar, um, if we can actually get that manufacturing done here. So um, um, that'll certainly be um, an interesting case. And, and speaking of that, I mean, one of the big drivers and impetus of that is going to be projects like Sun Cable. So that's going to be the world's biggest solar and battery project, 20 gigawatts in the Northern Territory. That is going to have to necessitate, like, you know, rethink about supply chains, particularly having solar manufacturing in Australia. Um, and that's just going to change, I think, the face and the nature of the industry. I just think it's going to be really, really exciting. And they've appointed bankers this week, so Macquarie and um, another mob whose name just escapes me right now. Uh, but another global unit and um, trying to put together a $30 billion plus financing package for the world's biggest solar and battery project. Um, if that ain't changed, then nothing is. Oh, love it. Go big or go home. <laughs> it'll, 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 um, it'll really, it'll change the game uh, when that project comes off. And I say when, not if, because I really believe uh, that it will and it just makes so much sense. So, um, you know, and all the things that we're seeing right now, uh, in fact, play right into it because having a big lump of extra capacity um, can't do anything um, but help. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, mate, um, tell me about new standards. You've got a few items there to talk about. Yeah, yeah, a couple of quick sort of uh, sort of crap solar things, but not really crap solar, but just a reminder for, for all those installers out there, the new standards kicked in on July 1st. Uh, that's ASNZS four triple seven. Predominantly affects inverters, but of course it has flow-on effects for DC isolators. And you know we saw the beginnings of this starting to flow out, which were then delayed. Um, so anyway, it's all finally kicked in. Um, uh, as of the 30th of June, there were 670 different inverter models tested, certified, and listed as compliant uh, with the new standards. 
uh, and 62, notably, that were no longer compliant. So important that you do make sure you're talking to your suppliers, your wholesalers, your manufacturers about which products are suitable under the new standards. Most of the manufacturers have done a great job. And of course, it's, it's pushed some of the older, simpler, dumber models off the list. Um, uh, but that's a really good thing. The other thing that I picked up on that I thought was really fascinating uh, was actually I'm going to call out a couple of councils this week uh, for being... Um, Needing to do some work on heritage rules, Hobson's Bay Council uh, particularly uh, were uh, were being uh, slashed and burned on Facebook just as we just before we uh, came to the microphone tonight uh, for forcing a homeowner to remove solar from their home, and it was to do with the heritage listing of the home. They had some solar panels on the back roof, but they had some on the street facing roof, which is a big no no according to virtually all the heritage rules. Uh, when I started Googling it up, actually, uh, and there were a number of people jumping online uh, talking about the same things that they'd been forced to actually remove solar panels from their roof by their local council. I found examples from the city of Burundara, uh, which was in the news. There was uh, Hobson's Bay, Bayside, Yarra, uh, Nalumbik. Um, there were there were a whole bunch actually that had this same issue, and I found a couple of examples of court cases where these heritage overlays. Uh, come into play. Um, in fairness, uh, I, I have to give a big shout out to the city of Yarra. They had a really clear, simple set of guidelines on their website. It actually had, was was pretty open and transparent. And it said, look, we, we actually really want you to put solar panels on. Like all of the councils, they talk about the climate emergency. They talk about needing to do things with renewables and wanting to help people to reduce their running costs. But what Yarra had done was put a pretty simple planning guide on that said, look, if you try and put them on the front of the building, it's going to be difficult because we do want to preserve the heritage. And heritage is really, really important. Consider putting them on the shared computer. They actually had a whole bunch of diagrams that showed you all sorts of other places you could put them. And, of course, with the cost of solar being what it is today, even putting them on the south roof, Giles, is not the end of the world. You know, you'll lose 20 to 30% of your production, but it doesn't preclude you from having solar. So, you know, it's time to think outside the box, but I also think it's time for the heritage planning people to think a bit more progressively. There were certainly some stories about massive fines if people failed to remove the solar panels, which seems completely out of step with the world that we live in. So a bit of work for the councils to do, but also... Uh, a warning for consumers who own consumer uh, heritage-listed homes to make sure they read the rules. Okay, okay. Anything else in um, in, in the crap solar segment? No, I want to get to the motorcycles because it? it's exciting. Oh, you're busting. You're busting to get there. <laughs> Off you go there. Oh, look, I'm just going to sort of, I'm going to rattle off a few stats there because I'm just going to hold you and just in the veins just for a bit, just to get that level of enthusiasm rising to a crescendo. Um, um, EV sales in the first in the month of June, just 1.1 percent of um, total new car sales in Australia. Um, that's pretty bad, guys. Uh, I mean, look, it's not any individual's fault. It's just basically yet another sort of um, consequence of 10 years of inaction and a lot of stupid comments from a former government about um, how EVs won't tow your boat and uh, will ruin your weekend. But um, it's a sad state of affairs when um, we struggle to get enough EVs into the market. Um, Tesla's had some problems in Shanghai, which I guess has sort of slowed things down from their point of view, and they account for most of the sales and, and, and will in the second half when the Model Y finally gets here. 
Um, but it's still a pretty sad state of affairs, you know, when you consider that Norway is now in the high 80s getting approached to 90% um, EVs and most European countries are between 10 and 20% EVs. Some of, you know, Sweden and Netherlands are up in the 20s already and the US is getting up towards 10% EV sales. And here we are in Australia, 1.1% of um, new car sales are EVs. So, um um, that's a bit sad. But on the positive side, there was a good story this week about all the motoring groups getting together and buying out the rest of Chargefox. That's the biggest EV charging network. Oh, I and saw so I think that. we're gonna yeah, see we're gonna see a doubling story. capacity. So um so that's actually really good. So they're kind of planning for the future and um and I think it's actually good that the motoring groups are getting involved because one, you would hope, you would hope that um the price of charging will remain reasonable because essentially these are sort of mutuals and not-for-profits um, and will offer probably discounts to their members and things like that. So um, they'll keep the whole thing um, in perspective. So there you go. Nice. Nigel. So more, Nigel. More, more electric vehicles, more electric vehicles, and Ducati want to help us, Giles. Because <laughs> everybody wants to ride an electric Ducati, don't they? Everybody wants an electric Ducati. And I tell you, they actually finally released details of their Moto e-bike today. And I'm not going to go through all the specs, but suffice to say, here are the bits that I found were most interesting. Of course, it's gorgeous. It is a stunning, stunning motorcycle. Its power is almost the same as the Energica, not quite the same power or um, torque uh, numbers uh, quoted thus far. Uh, and a little bit lower battery capacity, which is interesting. Um, so you kind of go, oh, it's got maybe a little bit less power at this point in time and a little bit less battery capacity. Well, what does that mean? Well, this is where it gets interesting because it's almost 10% lighter than the Energica. So you either make it lighter or you make it more powerful. And in this case, what Ducati have done is managed to make it lighter. They haven't released all their details, but their motor particularly is at least 10 kilos lighter than the Energica and can rev to 18,000 RPM. And they talked an awful lot about the fact that they're using cylindrical uh, rather than prismatic cells, which is really, really interesting because on a, on a motorbike, you would usually go for prismatic because they're more dense. You can pack them more densely and get more capacity into the bike. But Ducati have gone the other way. And the reason they've done that is so that they can cool the batteries because prismatic, uh, because cylindricals allows you to get that, uh, that flow of either air or, in this case, liquid between the cells. Uh, they've also gone to a much higher voltage, 800 volts DC compared to about 300 to the Energica. So the, the real headline around this is not just that it's gorgeous, not just that it's Ducati who are part owned by VW, of course, um, uh, and, and indeed have taken, for example, their inverter has come from the uh, motor racing, electric motor racing world and, and from the, you know, the heritage that they've got and experience they've got with Volkswagen. But what's really interesting is Ducati have not taken a, ostensibly a street bike and modified it for the track like Energica did. Instead, they've gone the other way. They've said, let's build an all-out super-duper track bike. Let's build the best electric motorcycle we can. No expense spared, exotic materials, Let's go crazy on this thing and see what more we can do. And you can guarantee Ducati wants to come out and go better and faster uh, in their first outings with Energica. And, and some of the test rides are up online now. So looking really, really exciting. The only other thing, just to wrap up, Giles, was Goodwood Festival of Speed. For those rev heads out there, 
uh, it's a wonderful blend of the old and the new, uh, run in, in the UK around the famous Goodwood Estate, lots of interesting and exotic old vehicles. It's a, it's a treasure for the senses. Uh, but they also have a hill climb every year, and the record for that hill climb was broken this year by the incredibly named McMurty Spurling, which looks a bit like a small Batmobile, uh, but it's fully electric, has massive fans built into the chassis of the car to suck it to the road so that it has incredible grip. And as a consequence, they broke the record, uh, which has been held for about four or five years at that hill climb by a McLaren Formula One car, no less. So this little team from McMurdy Spearling, who uh, are building this exotic little sports race car, uh, set a fantastic record by almost two seconds. Good on them. Sounds like a nice cream van, actually, with the name of that. But, um, yeah. Hey, are you, you going to tell us what a prismatic battery is? That's a pouch cell as opposed to, like, a AAA cell. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, cool. Look, the other interesting piece of electric um, motorbike news, and it's not sort of on the Ducati level or even the live wire met, met, um, um, level, it's uh, about Fonz motorcycles and their Arthur, which is like a little scooter, um, just over 50 cc's. And we actually wrote a story about them a couple of weeks ago. Um, um, they're sort of complaining that uh, they roll out these electric scooters, but because they're sort of deemed to be a moped um, under the sort of this bizarre sort of rules from the government, they didn't qualify for the stamp duty rebates. And we published our stories two weeks ago, and a week later, they got their stamp duty rebate. So that's good news for all the people um, that um, have and will by looking to buy the uh, the Fonz Arthur um, electric scooter. So um, I'm so happy for them. I I, I got a small um, rebate under that scheme. I couldn't get the grant for my Harley Davidson Livewire. I was ineligible and motorcycles remain ineligible. So now that we've got the stamp duty rebate ticked off, uh, we've got another project on our mind, which is to try and get the rebate as well for future owners. But I'm so happy for Fonz. And I hear on the grapevine that there might be a new model coming, which we might get to test ride and do a little story on soon. Oh, sounds fantastic, Nigel. I think I'm just the person who can go and do that. Mate, look, I think that's going to be a wrap. We're going to take a short one this time because we've had a few technical problems um, and you've probably got a sore arm from holding your phone up to your ear. And, um, and, um, and yeah, and I think, uh, anyway, look, it's been great to chat with you again, Nigel. Um, thanks to all the people out there. Um, do give us some feedback, uh, particularly if you're in the market to buy solar um, a system or you're a, a retailer who's fielding inquiries. We'd really like to know how many people are sort of now throwing battery storage into the question and also electric vehicles into the question. Um, we might even do a formal survey on that um, if we get some positive feedback. In the meantime, look, thanks, of course, to our sponsors, um, Dollar Analytics, Sunwiz and Clinergy. Uh, do listen out for our other podcasts, um, The Driven. As Nigel said, he's got a really good interview with a man who rode a highly loud wire from Lake Air to Mount Kosciuszko. And we've also got coming up an interview with New Energy Minister Chris Bowen. And we'll be back again in a fortnight and we'll see you at Energy Next. Bye for now. Solar Insiders was brought to you by Clenergy, the providers of high-quality mounting systems for residential, commercial and utility-scale solar projects. With in-house engineering and projects divisions, Clenergy provides a unique edge with its expert advice. Let Clenergy find the right framework for any solar application. 
Solar Insiders was also brought to you by SunWiz, Australia's leading service provider for the solar and storage industry. Offering a unique business-wide solution for solar retailers, SunWiz will help you differentiate and automate your business with a tailored implementation. Visit sunwiz.com.au forward slash accelerate and discover how you can boost your profits while working less. Solar Insiders was also brought to you by Solar Analytics. You can now offer Solar Analytics from just $40 per year by connecting it directly to Fronius and SunGrow inverters. No additional hardware is required, just extra value. Solar Analytics, it's different. Learn more at solaranalytics.com.au.